Well, good morning. We are glad that you're here with us today. And as Scott said, we are looking forward to being together again in person very soon. I do think it will be pretty soon. Um, we'll probably let you know something in the next couple of weeks about that. We are not rushing to get everybody in here quite yet. The numbers are still a little high. There's still lots of talk about another variant. Um, at some point, uh, you get tired of all the bad news, but you still have to consider um, all those variables. But in the meantime, uh, we're working to kind of freshen up the place. We've been in this facility now for about six years. And so it's showing a little bit of wear and tear. We've had a lot of love in our hallways, lots of kids running around. And um, so we're doing some freshening up, getting ready for some new guests. And my belief uh, is that we are entering into a very transitional time, uh, just where people are in life. Uh, people are transitionally thinking about where they work, how they do school, uh, where they do church, how they do church. All those things are uh, just kind of on people's minds. What We're in this, what is sometimes coined as a liminal period, that in between, you're, you're not where you were and you're not where you know you're going to be, but you're kind of in this uncertain in between. And so we're trying to prepare for that, not just in um, some fresh paint on the walls and just making everything look clean and, and ready for our guests, but also just thinking through how have we changed over the last year. And we are rapidly coming up on a year when we first closed down services to flatten the curve for two weeks. We were going to flatten the curve for two weeks. And here we are, we're coming up on a year and we've changed. All of us have changed to some degree. Uh, our expectations have changed. Our desires have changed. One of the things we recognize in people is there is a, a great need for kind of understanding where their place is in the world. We're, we're a little unsettled. We're not a little. We're a lot unsettled, and we're trying to figure all those things out. We've made new relationships with some new folks over the last year, as, as unexpected as that is, and we're going to continue to do that. We're, we're thinking through children's ministry, uh, small group ministry, worship ministry, uh, I'm, I'm personally thinking through teaching stuff. We're, we're going to do some stuff starting in March where we're going to change up a little bit of how we do teaching, how we do the worship service. So uh, there's a lot of things that we're going to be uh, trying and rec recognizing that as people have changed and as our expectations have changed, the way we engage with people has to change as well. And uh, part of this series that we've been going through with emotions and by the way, the graphic for, I, I failed to give the guys uh, in, the, in the booth the right graphic for February for Challenge Accepted. That was the right URL if you are going through the kids' um, videos with your kids uh, at journeychattanooga.com forward slash kids dash online. But the graphic was wrong. That was last week's or last month's um, series. This, this month's series is Challenge Accepted. It's, it's more sports-based. Uh, and so it's a great thing for you to do with your kids at home. And, and not only is it good for you to do now while we're not meeting in person, one of the things that, that we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks uh, is the importance of family environments, family worship, family teaching, uh, not just now, but always. That, that has always been one of the core ways that Scripture has instructed us to teach our children. So um, we're going to try to work on some ways to do that better than we have to resource families and parents, even better than we are right now. Um, we're working in that direction. So lots of things are kind of in the works. Lots of things are moving. 
Uh, we'll keep you updated as we get closer to the time where we're really ready to launch everything back out. We're not quite there yet, um, but we will let you know. We're in this series called Emotions, and one of the reasons we're in this series and why I wanted to do this series is simply because we are all feeling lots of different things. Uh, we are feeling things that at times the church has said, you should not be feeling that. Like You should not experience that. That's not what a good, mature Christian does. That's not what a good, mature Christian feels. We started off talking about anxiety, and I don't know how many people have reached out and just said, I really appreciate um, you talking about that and and bringing up that Jesus himself had anxiety because um, most places they have gone to church have basically said, if you have anxiety, you're, you're sinning. That's a sin to have anxiety. And yet we know for Jesus, like he had such great angst and anxiety in the garden that it, it was like he was sweating drops of blood. It was, he was very heavy uh, with being uh, anxious about what was coming. Um, we also talked about sadness and the reality that we don't like to share that. Sometimes even in the church, we feel like if you're sad, like there's something wrong with your faith. And that's not true. I mean, it can be, but sadness is a normal human emotion that God gave us to feel, to process the events that we go through in life. Because as we all know, not everything we go through in life feels good, is positive. Jesus himself experienced sadness. And we, we looked at two places in which Jesus actually wept over sadness. One over his friend Lazarus, um, who died, even though he was about to bring him back from the dead, he wept over this, the, the sense and environment of death that had come over his friends. He, he wept over that. He also wept as he was coming into Jerusalem that last time. And he looked over and, and he said, uh, you have stoned the prophets that came before me. You have turned away from God who has tried to embrace you in his arms. And he wept over Israel, knowing that what was coming in the next few days was his crucifixion and resurrection. We talked last week, we made a bit of a turn and we talked about joy and the reality that joy makes room for all kinds of negative experiences in your life. Joy has room for mourning. Joy has room for sadness. Joy has room for anxiety. Joy has room for fear. Joy has room for all of those things, whereas happiness, where we tend to focus on, especially here in the U.S., where we are in the pursuit of happiness, is just a feeling, and those feelings often control us. That is not what our emotions were meant to do. So as we process through the pandemic, as we process through all the uncertainty and work and life and school and kids and uh, what's coming next, it's important that we understand how we're feeling. It's also important that we're not controlled by our feelings. Jesus felt all of these things deeply, but yet he acted even when he had to act contrary to how he was feeling. Today is a, is a day that I think a lot of people, uh, are, this is where they're at. I'm going to try not to talk as long as I did last week, although you can always hit pause and come back and watch later um, if you're not here in person with us. So uh, as we go through this idea of hope, this is probably one of the foundational things people are in need of and one of the biggest things people are lacking right now. And all of the things that we're going to be talking about through this emotion series Hope is that thing that we need, that we long for, that we want, and yet we're just not sure if we have it. Now, I, I want you, for those of you who have been in the church for a while, to lay aside kind of the church answer of hope. I don't want you to check out because as we have with each of the other 
uh, emotions, we want to look at what is kind of the, the Jewish history in which how would Jesus have understood this and taught through this, not because Judaism got it right and Christianity gets it wrong, but because Jesus taught out of Judaism and Christianity is not uh, in contrast to Judaism. Christianity is the fulfillment of the hope of Judaism that those who reject Christianity but are of the Jewish faith believe well Christianity is not the fulfillment of the hope of Judaism. So uh, we're coming through and trying to understand that in an ancient Hebrew understanding of each of these emotions and then how do we process it how do we move through it so i don't want you to check out i don't want you to say i know jesus is my hope yes he is but hope is so much bigger than that i also want you to know that we are over the next three weeks going to be talking about those three really key theological understandings of what jesus says are most important and sum up a lot of of our faith and he says those are faith hope and love and in the end, the one that's going to last is love because faith and hope are going to go away. Well, I want to start with hope this week because it somewhat sets the foundation for the conversation on love and faith, but also it's where we are and it's what we need. Last week, I started talking about uh, just what is the basic English understanding of joy and I share with you that it's very lacking because in English, we have a tendency to use words very broadly, and we kind of avoid nuance. Sometimes we, re we require the tone of your voice to give that nuance. That's why disagreeing over text is such a terrible way to have a conversation, whether it be Facebook or by a text or an email, because we can't read tone, and much of the English language relies on tone for us to understand the meaning behind it, whereas in other languages, like they have different words for all the different nuances. Their language is so much larger and more expansive than English is. So as we come to this, I don't want us to just jump into our American understanding. I want us to look at where what, what is the real deep root of each of these emotions. This week it is hope. So let's just start with this. What is hope? And yes, hope is a person, but we're not going there yet. Hope is also a concept. It's also a feeling. It's also a way that we process life. And in the English language, if you look up what is a definition of hope, you're going to find this, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. All right, we, we get that. It's something isn't, but we have a feeling of hope that it will happen. For example, we hope that uh, Tennessee will win a national championship again. Our hope is waning and has been for a long time, but we hope that the thing that isn't will one day be, right? We hope that that's going to happen. We, we hope that the pandemic's going to end and for those health officials saying be prepared for something to come in behind it that's just as bad, we hope that they are wrong. We, we have an expectation or a desire for certain things to happen every Christmas. Uh, whenever kids fill out their Christmas list and they tell their parents, this is what I hope I'll get for Christmas, the, the desire is that when I wake up on Christmas morning under the tree will be these gifts. It is a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. The, the problem with that definition, I will tell you right off the bat, is usually, and this is why hope 
is so misused and misunderstood in our world today is the reality that most of our hopes are incredibly self-centered. And when we even look at the English definition of hope, the problem with this definition of hope is that it generally is about what I want to see happen. But hope is much deeper than that. It's much wider than that. If we go to the Greek, which uh, most of our New Testament, all of our New Testament, when we talk about the original languages, for the most part come from the Greek, even though that was translated uh, from the Latin in most cases, and not original, the actual original language of the person who wrote and spoke, they have a different understanding because in each culture, your cultural experience shapes how you use language. In the Greek, this is the word elpis, and it, it means literally to anticipate usually with pleasure all right so that's pretty similar to anticipate usually with pleasure but it also can mean favorable and confident expectation a forward look with assurance now that brings in a little bit of a different avenue for us to understand hope and that in which there's a component of not only confidence, but there is a focus on the future attainment of this thing. Like this is going to happen. Now, if we go back into the Hebrew understanding, the, the understanding in which Jesus would have taught and Jesus would have come up in and, and Jesus would have, his, his listeners would have understood hope in the way that uh, Jesus was talking is the Hebrew word tikvah. And it also just means expectation, but it also has another very interesting definition in which it is a cord or rope to bind or to wait for or upon something. So I'm just going to turn. My watch keeps taking over. I don't know why. Siri just loves to intervene, so I'm going to turn it off. But... Tikva literally means a cord or a rope that binds us to a preferred future. So there's a, a commitment to this thing. It's not just a feeling because feelings are fleeting. Now, feelings come and feelings go. You can feel hope in one moment and despair in the next. The problem with all of our emotions when we allow our emotions to control us is that we can't trust them. They are not reliable and they are not consistent. When we start to understand the Greek understanding of hope, and then we go back to the Jewish understanding of hope, we find that there is an ironclad expectation of something good. Now, Jesus is certainly a part of that, but hope is expansive. It, there's a short-term goal, and there's a long-term goal. What we can't find as a similarity in all three definitions is simply this, that hope is expectation. I don't know what your expectations are. Like today, your expectation may be you're going to sit around and you're just going to relax. And then later, you're going to watch the Super Bowl. Uh, you're going to load up on a bunch of snacks. Tomorrow, you're going to regret it. And your team's probably not even in the Super Bowl. But uh, you're going to watch it anyways, even if you just watch it for the commercials. Maybe that's your expectation for the day. But what is your expectation for the week? What is your expectation for the month? What is your expectation for the next year? What about the next five, ten years? What about for the rest of your life? There are all kinds of hopes that are going to be going through your mind. Some are short-term and some are long-term. We understand hope has a capacity 
to demonstrate expectation in lots of different ways. We also know in our faith that hope is fragile. Hope is fragile. What we see and what we experience through a lot of the last few months are a number of people feeling like their faith just isn't really all that strong. So you can have hope even in Christ. What happens if something happens to your kids? How do you feel about that hope? Hope usually is wrapped up in the idea of a preferred future, but what happens if that future arrives and it is not the preferred one, but it is the one you feared? What happens to your hope? When we put hope in the realm of a feeling of expectation that God is always going to do good stuff for us if he's pleased with us, what happens when bad things happen? This is a problem we have in the church, and this is a problem we have when we talk about faith in in the world, and this is one of the reasons that so many people are walking away from faith is because we are not really transparent and honest about the hardships of life. We try to sell people this idea that God wants to solve all their problems, and while he does, there are some problems he doesn't solve. He actually gives to us that we didn't want. Is there room in our understanding of hope for things to go badly? Is there room in our concept of hope for things to not go the way we wanted in a game, in an election, in our jobs, in relationships with people who are important to us? Is there room for hope to allow bad things to happen or not? Because in general, the Christian branding of hope is that no bad things will happen because of Jesus. I don't know where we came up with this idea. I think it's, it's wrapped in um, the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution that says we are on a path to get the most glory out of this world and to have the most freedom out of this world and to be as happy as we can be in this world. And yet, when we look back at that Hebrew understanding of life and joy and sadness, there is room for things to go wrong and it doesn't have to wreck your hope. But hope is fragile. We we can lose it. If you've never sat with a parent who's buried a child, then maybe you don't fully comprehend how fragile hope is, but sit with a parent who's lost a child and you will see their hope fracture in front of your eyes. Hope is fragile. It is expectation, but when we wrap it solely in a feeling, it will disappoint us. Hope is so much more than that. It also doesn't find its strength in a preferred future, but we'll talk about that next week. Because hope and faith are not the same thing, even though they share some common pieces. Hope in hope itself cannot sustain itself. It is fragile. So what else is hope? Hope is the language of possibility. And I just want you to sit and soak here for a minute. (laughs) While hope is fragile and we can lose it, and we know people have lost it, maybe ourselves, sometimes we feel like we're losing hope in something. 
The reality is, is that hope is the ultimate language of possibility. What, not what is, not what was, but what can be. This is that beautiful time of just imagining, daydreaming of what could and what should be. This is the thing that gets us through a pandemic when we're not thinking about how things are in the pandemic, but how things could be, how things could move forward, how we could emerge from the pandemic stronger, better, more joyful. Hope is the language of possibility. Because hope is not rooted in what you see. It's not rooted in what is right now. It's rooted in what could be. How often do you find yourself sitting, looking out the window? For me, it's looking out the window or being outside. Nature is always a, a, a help for me when I'm daydreaming. I don't know about you. If I see trees swaying, my imagination goes crazy. I don't know why. It just does. If I see birds going through, there are certain sounds that I hear that just sparks my imagination. I, for me, it's nature. I love to just, whenever I, I look for a place to work, it's almost always next to a window. I, I am half as um, good at completing tasks when I'm in an enclosed space with no windows. I know that about myself. I, it, especially if I have to do something creative, I need to see a window. I need to be outside. I need to see nature. I don't know what that is for you, but that creates in me the idea of possibilities, the idea of daydreaming about what could be and should be. And, and this is not just about my faith, although I do that as well. This is also about my kids. This is also about my wife. This is also about my parents, my uh, extended family. It's about my friends. It's about our church, our church family. I daydream about what could be, what should be, what can we hope for? Not just in the gospel, but just about life and experiencing and living the gospel, not just talking about it. Hope is a language of possibility, not that which was, but that which can be. David Harmaz, a professor of philosophy at the University of Jerusalem, he says this about hope. He says, hope is a category of transcendence. Oh, I, lo I love this. Hope is a category of transcendence by means of which a man does not permit what he senses and experiences to be the sole criterion of what is possible. Let me read that again. Take this in. Hope is a category of transcendence by means of which a man does not permit what he senses and experiences to be the sole criterion of what is possible. This is the belief and the understanding that what is is not enough. What could be is so much better, but just because it's not here yet doesn't mean it can't be. This is when someone sets aside, I talk about my friend Ken over at Red Bank United Methodist Church, he came in and we just had lots of conversations uh, when, when he came in about his church and about those who were there and the kind of his history and, and what his dreams and his hopes were for his church, and he says, we're going to do a food pantry. I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me, that's a huge undertaking. And yet, again this week, they fed over a thousand people, many of us were involved in that process as well. So he looked around at what was, and there was not a food pantry at his church, and yet he says, this is what should be what happened, and church partners and ministry partners from around the city, individuals, community members, Christians, non-Christians came together and said, this is a good thing, this should be, it is possible, even if we don't see it yet. 
love the idea that hope is a category of transcendence. It's not just accepting what is. It's not just being a fatalist. It's looking forward to what can be. It's the language of possibility. Hope is rooted in the past. It can only be fulfilled in the future. I read another I read another um, Jewish uh, philosopher. I can't remember his name. I didn't write his name down. But he had this very interesting uh, analogy of hope being based in time. Now, follow with me because I think this is just revolutionary to understand hope. And, and that is that we often think of hope because hope is expectation. We think of hope as always future. But the reality is hope is not just future. Hope is past, present, and future. I, I, I just find this concept fascinating when we can get bogged down in the hope that something will be better, but we don't really believe that it's going to be better. He said this. He said, hope is anchored in your past. Actually, use the word memories. Hope is anchored in your memories back here. Interestingly, you can talk to three different people. You can talk to three different Christians who are committed to their faith, and they will have a different vantage point for their hope in Christ. They can all have hope in Christ, but they can all be anchored in something differently. For example, you could be anchored in an incredibly dysfunctional family, and what you find in Christ are a people who are seeking to follow him, who accept you as a family member, who love you and are there for you. And so your hope in Christ is anchored on what he has done in this community of people and what they have done for you as you think back to your memories of life. Maybe your hope in Christ is not anchored in the relationships of of God's people, but instead your hope is anchored in an experience you had. Like me, I had an experience with Christ that was so formational within my life that everything I think about in my faith with him comes back to that memory of that experience with Christ that he was real, he was there, he loved me, he he wanted me to do something with and for him. And so my hope is anchored in that memory, although my hopes are in that which yet have not happened. You could be anchored in a family that did not have any kind of religious focus whatsoever. Maybe it was incredibly unhealthy. And yet you found hope and you found a way forward in the teachings of Christ. And so in seeking health, you found that. Or maybe maybe in your memory is a life you lived and it was broken and it was shattered and it was a kind of life like you tell your kids, don't do that. And you found forgiveness and acceptance and love and your hope in Christ is anchored not in the community of people. It's not anchored in just that one experience with Christ, but it is a thankfulness that he loved you and he accepted you and he forgave you. And so your hope is still in Christ and yet it's rooted in somewhere different in the past. It's this idea that our hope is rooted in our memory is so fascinating that if we aren't careful, we are a culture that wants to forget our past as quickly as possible. Now, 
the the tearing down of statues is a hugely political issue uh, and and even the reason they're being torn down is so more nuanced than what you see on the news however it does seem to demonstrate this peace that we want to pretend the past didn't happen it's amazing the number of people that deny pretty well-held ideas of the world whether it be the world is round or flat or whether things like the holocaust actually happened a rising percentage of people that doubt the veracity that the Holocaust actually happened. And yet it is our anchoring to our past that helps tether us to a better trajectory forward when we remember the ills of the past, not try to erase them. So that's one of the reasons that Christ doesn't want us to just pretend that we're perfect. He wants us to own it. He wants us to own our brokenness. He wants us to own our sin. He doesn't want us to call it anything else. It is sin, but he wants us to own it and remember it because by being tethered to what we've been forgiven of, may we never return to that again. See, in hope, there's a future and there's a past. You have to stay anchored in that past but it can only be fulfilled in the future. My hope is not that Tennessee will not make the national championship game. They didn't make it. I can't put my hope that they won't make it because they already didn't make it, right? You can put your hope that either the Buccaneers or the Chiefs are going to be victorious, but tomorrow you can't put your hope in that because tonight it'll be decided. (laughs) Our hope is always based on the future. One of the places we see this is in the Old Testament, where God um, is speaking to Moses at the burning bush. This is one of the the, uh, pivotal moments in Jewish history in which hope is birthed in a people. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The problem is that's not a correct understanding of the original Aramaic of that phrase, I am. It is not I am who I am. It is future tense in which I will be who I will be. Now, if you want to bend your mind around what God is telling Moses, Moses says to God, these people don't know me. These people don't want to have anything to do with me. Who do I tell them has sent me if I'm coming to deliver them from Pharaoh? And he, this is literally what God is saying. I will be who I will be because God is the author of hope and it is always future based. Think about this. Where is the end of the story in scripture? There's no end. There's no happily ever after. So heaven could be happily ever after, but that's future, isn't it? Most of the time when we read some kind of a story, there's some kind of ending, and, and, and at least books that aren't trying to be in, you know, dark, they're not trying to be dark. There's some ending that says, and they lived happily ever after. We don't find that anywhere in Scripture. There's always a future context. We are excited about what has happened, and we can 
plant a flag in the ground and say, this has happened. But Jesus says, now look forward to what will happen. Our entire focus after Jesus' resurrection was future, anchored by events in the past. I will be what I will be. God's name belongs to the future tense. His call is to that which is not yet, which is why we don't just sit and accept everything that is in the world. Not as followers of Jesus. He didn't do that. Our hope is based on the future. This concept of the already but the not yet. If you need hope right now, it will not come by denying what is or by denying what was. But if you don't have a forward focus on what is not yet, your hope will be broken. It will be shattered. You will abandon your hope. Jeremiah 29:11 is often quoted by people who believe that um, somehow America is the next Israel. It's not. It never is going to be the next Israel. But I do want you to hear the focus in which Jeremiah 29, 11 is given to the nation of Israel if they would follow him. And it says, God told Israel, if you turn from your sin and follow me, I will give you a future and a hope. Interestingly, he doesn't say, I will fix everything right now. Your present will no longer be your present. He says, I'll give you a future and a hope. And at times that future and a hope was short term. It was like you were delivered from your enemies. Only a short time later for them to be conquered by someone else. But it also was long term hope. Because ultimately that meant Christ was coming and their future and hope was ultimately in him, which was the long game. Not just a short game. So next week we'll talk about faith. The next week we're going to talk about love. And I want you to know that love is the basis for hope. We can't fully comprehend what hope is unless we understand that it gains its origin from love. How would we find that? First Corinthians 13, 7, Paul says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things endures all things <laughs> love is the basis for hope which again the long and short game is wrapped up in the past the present and the future but its foundation is found in love what do i mean by that so tonight tom brady greatest quarterback of all time is uh, going to try for another Super Bowl win. Interestingly, in 2005, he'd already won three Super Bowls, and he did a, an interview with 60 Minutes, and which in a portion of that video, um, he basically makes the statement, there has to be more to life than this. <laughs> this is 2005. This is three Super Bowl rings so far under his belt, 15 years younger, and he looks younger. Not, It doesn't look 15 years younger. It's amazing how he ages, but 
I want you to watch this, but more so than just hearing that phrase, I want you to hear where he gives the glimmer of where his hope is. So watch this video. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I mean, it's, I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things. But there's a, I know, I love playing football and I love being the quarterback for this team. And, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find and different ways of expressing. So, he goes on to say, I'm not sure if I heard it in the clip. I may have not gotten the entire clip in there. He goes on to say, you know, there's got to be more to, than winning Super Bowls for life to mean something. And he goes on to say, because he, he finds and he, what he uh, uh, kind of comes to the place of his hope is that it's in relationships. It's in relationships with his family, with his friends. There, there is this expectation of, I don't know what, this other thing is that's bigger than being successful in my career is, but I think it's out there and I think it has to do with people. And, and absolutely, because hope ultimately is rooted completely, true hope is rooted completely in love. It is the foundation for hope to even exist, which is not surprising that someone who, and interestingly, after the video, he did another interview, um, and he said people, like, mailed him Bibles in mass. Like, he's, his house was full of Bibles because people just started mailing him Bibles, which is really not a great evangelism strategy, by the way. I'm sure all well-intentioned people, I'm not sure if I was questioning, and I'm not a Christian, and I'm not asking for this, if all of a sudden you started mailing me a bunch of Bibles, that would encourage me. Because what he was looking for was relationships. What brings makes relationships take more of a center place within our life, which is the whole message of the gospel. Jesus said himself, you can wrap up all of the law in these two things, loving God and loving each other. I, everything is wrapped up in the gospel in the concept of love. And that's why Jesus says, in a couple of weeks we'll talk about this, that's why he says faith and hope, they're going to they're gonna go away, but love endures forever. That is the point of life. How we love is the point of life. What Tom Brady was looking for was something that mattered more than success. And what he was looking for was to understand love in the concept of hope, or in the context of hope. Love is the basis for hope. Hope has a short game and a long game. I've said that a few times, and this is where I want to start wrapping up. So what do we do with this idea, this context of hope in the past, the present, and the future, the idea that there is a longing and expectation for something that is not yet, but can be, should be, will be, if everything works out just right. Hope has a short game and a long game. Here's what I mean by that. The short game is um, 
that you have short-term hopes. You hope uh, that the Chiefs are going to win tonight or the Buccaneers are going to win tonight, whoever. You hope that's a short-term hope. It'll be over by the end of the day. Either you will have experienced it or you will not. Uh, You know, politics is another one. Every two to four years is another election. Either your hopes, if it's in politics, either it's going to be realized or it's not. It's short-term. A lot of times our hopes are wrapped up in short-term things around us. Like all of a sudden, all the struggles I have, I won't have anymore. I mean, that's a legitimate hope that we have. uh, But that's a short-term hope because eventually... Uh, that's going to be done away with. Either your struggle is going to go away or it's not going to go away. And and then eventually we're all going to die. So those are short-term hopes. The short game is also when our hopes are wrapped around one person, and usually that one person is us. This is where hope in the church is disintegrating quickly. This This is why the prosperity gospel is such a terrible injustice to the true gospel that says, if you will just have faith, God will make sure and give you everything you want. And yet there's not a person on the planet who that has come true for. <laughs> and yet we say it and we say this is how we hinge the divinity, the majesty, the glory of God on this ability that if you have enough faith, he'll give you everything you want. The problem is, is we usually don't want the right things. There's levels of maturity in relationships. When we're focused on ourselves, that is the lowest level of maturity. When we're always thinking about what I need, what I want, what I'm missing, what I'm hurting over, that's the lowest level of maturity because as we grow, as we mature, our, our circle gets bigger. Remember, love is the foundation for hope. We can't just love ourselves. One of the central teachings of Jesus is that we will love others, not more than ourselves. We won't love ourselves less, but we'll love ourselves and others equally. So as we mature and we grow and as our faith matures and it grows, then all of a sudden our hope encompasses more than just us. And now it begins to encompass others. So excited the number of families that are involved with our church that are either fostering or have adopted and grown their families by bringing in children that did not have a family. I love that that is a testimony of many of the families of our church and then our church embraces that and embraces these families and embraces these children because for them, hope has to spread to others. I love the number of people that like to serve in our community, whether it's to rake up leaves for a widow or whether it's to serve at the food pantry or whether it's to help provide a meal for a room in the inn or it's to help meet the the temporary financial needs of someone who's in need. I, I love the heart of our church family that says, I see a need, I want to help meet it. I love that because as we grow and as we mature, hope extends to others. That's when hope begins to mean something more than just, well, I really have this feeling of expectation that all of a sudden my job is going to be better than it was. Well, what if it's not? Where does hope go? If the job maybe gets worse or you lose your job and there's not a better one or even a job to replace it, where does your hope go? You see, the long game, that's where hope endures. The long game is when we look far beyond just these temporary things that we're going to deal with in life, it's absolutely okay to have hopes that are short-term 
and rooted around your life. But if those are the only hopes that you have, that's not real hope. It's a short game. And that's one of the reasons people get so discouraged and people begin to give up. There is a part of hope that you're okay living in uncertainty, but there is also a part of hope that seeks to solve every human problem that exists. Someone who gives their life to research medicine to make it affordable for parts of the world that can't afford medicine are plagued by AIDS or Ebola or whatever. And they say, I will spend my life trying to make life better these other people. Or when you see travesty happening in the world and you see evil that is plunging others into darkness and you say, I will spend my life trying to bring hope to an oppressed people. That is also the long game of hope where we want to solve all human problems. It's the difference in trying to restore humanity to what God intended for it to be and us trying to build a utopia in which we have nothing going wrong. Both ideas can be understood in Christianity, but the problem with understanding hope and building a utopia is usually that utopia caters to guess who? Us. And my utopia may not be someone else's utopia. There's a difference in our hope. Are we hoping that just there's no more pain? Well, well, there's a part of heaven that that's what that heaven is supposed to be. But not before then. Not before then. Our friends who have lost children, how do we extend hope? How do we give them some of our hope? The reality is, is it takes time for them to rebuild hope after something like that. We have to have a short game and we have to have a long game. For the Jewish people in the Old Testament, Isaiah 2.2 gives a picture of this long game for them. It's a picture of the, what the Messiah will do, what the Messiah will bring. In Isaiah 2, chapter 2, or chapter 2, verse 2, it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it and many people shall come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the lord to the house of the god of jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths for out of zion shall go forth the law and the word of the lord from jerusalem he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's a hope for world peace. <laughs> That's a hope for the entire world being changed. We no longer seek power at the end of war. We no longer have to fight injustice with war, but we are able to exist in peace with each other because of God. You know, this is one of the pictures of heaven that we've talked about. It is the idea that heaven is a reality and the earth 
is a reality, and where they overlay, that is what we long for. We saw it in the Garden of Eden. We saw it in the tabernacle and the temple in the Holy of Holies. We see it now in believers who have the Holy Spirit within them. And what that coming heaven, when Jesus returns, is coming is to do a permanent replacement or overlapping of the kingdom of heaven and the earth, where there will be a new earth and a new Jerusalem. That's what we're longing for. That's part of where our hope is. Good things are always coming. That does not mean bad things aren't coming too. But hope says good things are always coming. And I believe in these next few weeks, good things are coming. I believe good things are coming to our families. I believe good things are coming to our church. I believe good things are coming to our community, to our city. And right now it's hard to see those good things, which is why they're hopes. I believe they are coming, and I believe we need to be prepared. I believe that Christians are supposed to be the hope bringers to the world, not the hope dashers. What does it mean for us to be hope bringers? I don't think it means mailing the Bible, by the way. I don't think that's the way we do it. We find ways to love people that have no hope. Sometimes being a hope bringer means paying somebody's rent because they have no hope in any perceived future because all they can see is they're going to be on the street in no time. There's a lot of people in that situation right now. How could we be a hope bringer there? What about when a family's hungry or their kids are hungry and parents feel like absolute failures because they can't feed their kids? Can we be a hope bringer? Even if that's a short-term hope, can we bring a hope bring, be a hope bringer for them? I believe, many of us believe that by helping with some of the short-term hopes, we can introduce them to a longer-term hope, which is ultimately in Jesus. The object of your hope tells you a lot about the state that your heart's in. I've been open with several people on my own struggle with cynicism. I, I don't know that you can live a substantial amount of life and not struggle with cynicism. You see so many inaccuracies, hypocrisies, even in your own selves. I see it in myself. I see it in others. It's so easy to become the cynic, to lose hope and to say, it'll never get better. It's always going to be bad. But the follower of Jesus says, there is nothing written in stone. Things can always be better. The object of your hope is in people, then you will become a cynic. If the object of your hope is in the circumstances of this world, never experiencing any kind of sadness, then your the object of your hope will end up being despair. You'll expect bad things to happen. That is not what hope is. There's never an evil so entrenched in this world that it cannot be reversed. There is never anything so terrible in this world that we cannot restore a people. That is the language of hope, the language of possibility. How bad things are, but how good things can be. What does it look like for you to speak the language of hope every day? What does it look like for you to wake up in the morning and to speak the language of hope? It may mean you need to 
call your friends list. It may mean you need to call who you follow on Twitter. It may mean that you need to, st- every, every person that constantly wants to tell you everything that's bad, maybe you need to say, I love you, but I can't, I can't process this amount of bad. I know there's bad stuff in the world, but I'm choosing to be a hope bringer. So I'll know about the bad things. There's a way I can help, but I'm not going to just sit here and simmer in it. I'm not going to stew in it. There are too many good things in the world, too many good opportunities to bring hope to others. Romans 8, Paul says this, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not seen, excuse me, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That is what we're waiting for. It is why we endure suffering and hardship and disappointment and despair. That's why we fight against cynicism and negativity. Because we have a long game plan for hope, and it is in Christ. I want to leave you. I read one of his quotes last week. I came across another one. And again, I just love his title. This is from the Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. I just feel like everything in that name speaks to like, I wouldn't mess with this guy. He's a rabbi. He's a lord of the house of lords. His last name is Sachs. I mean, I feel like he could probably take any of us if he had to. He says this, talking about Western civilization, which is us. He says, Western civilization is the product of two cultures, ancient Greece and ancient Israel. The Greeks believed in fate, The future is determined by the past. Jews believed in freedom. There is no evil decree that cannot be averted. The Greeks gave the world the concept of tragedy. Jews gave it the idea of hope. The whole of Judaism, though it would take a book to show it, is a set of of laws and narratives designed to create in people, families, communities, and a nation, habits that defeat despair. Judaism is the voice of hope in the conversation of mankind. (laughs) That is such a wonderful statement. And I would say the difference between Judaism and Christianity is those who practice Judaism and reject Christ as the Messiah are still waiting for the fulfillment of this hope, whereas Christianity believes Jesus was the fulfillment of this hope. That's why I read these statements, even if they themselves do not believe Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of Judaism. He goes on to say, it is no accident that so many Jews are economists 
fighting poverty. Oh, I love this. Or doctors fighting disease. Or lawyers fighting injustice. (laughs) In all cases, refusing to see these things as inevitable. It is no accident that after the Holocaust... Jews did not call it al-Nakba, which literally means a catastrophe, a cataclysm, the end of the world. They intentionally at the Holocaust did not say this was the end of the world. Jews did not call it al-Nakba, nursing resentment and revenge, but instead turned to the future, building a nation whose national anthem is Hatikva which means the hope. I love that. So what do I leave with you for this last week or for this coming week? Last week, I encourage you to seek joy in different moments. That joy, that happiness is a solid. Joy is a liquid that fills in everything else. Happiness is, has borders, boundaries, it It can't be moved. It can't be changed. But joy can fill in everything. It has room for happiness. It has room for sadness. It has room for anxiety. So I encourage you last week, will you spend time looking in every moment in which you live? Will you spend time finding that moment of joy, even if bad things are happening? What I want you to remember for this week and what I want you to do for this coming week is I want you to remember that hope is, is the language of possibility, but it is also the language of the already and the not yet. Where is your mind and your heart focused on the not yet? Where is it focused? If it's focused post-pandemic, that's, just, that's the short game. That's fine. But you've got to have the long game, too. You've got to have on into the rest of your life, on into what happens when we die. That's the long game. Don't let your hope, don't let your thoughts about hope simply stew in what could end in the next few months. Have a longer view of hope. And ask yourself this question. What is the not yet for you? What is the not yet for you? That's that's the most basic question. I want you to, at some point, I want you to grow to a bigger question. Because remember, when we begin to grow in our faith and mature in our, our faith, our circle gets bigger and we start thinking about others, not just ourselves. What is the not yet for others around you? See, when we as hope bringers begin to focus our thoughts and focus our minds and focus our prayers and focus our finances and focus our work, our volunteer, our attention on those things, the world changes. So many times we pray, God, change the world. And God is saying, go for it. Go for it. Go do it. That's why you're here. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Go do it. What is the not yet for you? What is the not yet for us? What is the not yet for your neighbor, the person who works in the cubicle beside yours? What's the not yet for your kids, the not yet for your spouse, the not yet for that person that cut you off? What is the not yet? And let's extend hope farther. I have lots of not yets. 
I shared in the conversation on sadness that I went through a, a real period of sadness through this pandemic. But in the last few weeks, as I've just prayed and I've sought God and just as a person, as a dad, as a husband, but also as a pastor, I've been so excited to see a lot of the sadness of mourning what was that will not, probably not be again transform into hope for what has been that anchors what is not yet. The not yet is where we have to keep our focus. It's where we have to live. It's where we have to put our efforts. When we do that, we experience the life God called us to to a degree that we never would have otherwise. Next week, we're going to talk about faith. Hope is not possible without faith. Faith is not possible without hope. But faith and hope are not the same thing. We're going to talk about that. And then the foundation for all of that that makes it all make sense. We'll talk about love the next week. So I hope you'll stay with us and recognize that no matter where you are uh, in this journey of the pandemic, there is hope. Father, I thank you that despite all the things happening in the world around us, despite all of the negativity, all of the bad news, all of the things that we fear that might be or have already come to pass, Father, I, I pray that you would keep, keep our eyes focused on what has not yet happened. Let us be anchored in the memories that you came. Let us be anchored in knowing that you died on the cross and that you rose again. Let us be anchored and the belief of the apostles that so believed everything that Jesus said and did that they were themselves willing to die a cruel death rather than recount and turn away from it. Father, help us to keep our eyes forward. Just remember what was, but let us stay focused on what has not yet happened. Give us hope and let us share that hope with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.